0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Rathman, joining you from Atlanta. Trust that you and yours are safe and well. Got some news and notes for you this week, and then a special interview. Jody Conrad from Texas will be joining us in just a moment. The big news, since we joined you last, is the announcement by the WNBA that they plan to return to the court in Florida The league announcing this week they're finalizing a partnership that would make IMG Academy in Bradenton the official home of the 2020 WNBA season, a 22-regular season game schedule, followed by a traditional playoff format. And on the college side, we have this bit of news. Robert Morris is leaving the Northeast Conference to join the Horizon League. The school announced that this week they'll become the 12th member of the Horizon League on July the 1st. Robert Morris is located in Pittsburgh's western suburbs, and they have become an NEC power over the years in both men's and women's basketball. The men's program has reached the NCAA tournament four times in the last 11 years. The women's program has won the NEC's automatic bid seven times in the last 14 seasons. Both programs captured NEC titles this spring before the season ended because of the pandemic. This week's Atrophy Life podcast is brought to you by Jersey Mike's, where they offer a sub above, one that's measured in more than inches or seconds till served. Jersey Mike's carefully considers every aspect of what they do, every slice, every sandwich, every store, and they seek to provide our customers with sustenance and substance, too. Well, coming up this week, a chat with a dear friend, Jody Conrant. Won 900 games at Texas and other coaching stops along the way. Four-time National Coach of the Year. She's in the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, the Naismith Hall of Fame in Springfield. Will always be remembered for her 1986 Texas team that went 34-0 and won the National Championship. It was a dominant program in the 80s. And one of the great trendsetters in women's basketball, the great Jody Conrad. Such a pleasure to chat with Jody Conrad, the Hall of Famer, that uh, joins us on this edition of A Trophy Life Podcast. She joins us from Texas. Jody, how are you?
1: I'm just great, Bob. Thank you so much for asking. It's strange times for all of us, but I think we're adjusting.
0: Yes, we're trying. There's no doubt about that. Um, we were so excited to to read that you would join us this week and talk about your illustrious career But I want to ask first about the current events, because you're there down in Austin, and schools are trying to reopen. They're trying to get athletes back. The student-athletes are trying to uh, get back. Uh, There's testing going on. Uh, What's happening uh, in Austin, to the best of your knowledge?
1: Oh, it's day-to-day, and, you know... You and I love basketball, and so many of us that are associated with the Nays Fifth Trophy love basketball. But right now, everybody's on pins and needles. Will be will we be able to have football? Because as everyone knows, football's a big revenue generator for collegiate sports, and that's on everyone's mind right now. Uh, if you've read across the country athletes are starting to come back in that sport for voluntary practice. And uh, just here at the University of Texas, the manual for how that happens and the procedures and the process that one has to go through to have this happen is like a 30 page booklet. So it's complicated, Uh, again, it changes every day, but so far uh, the plan is in place and everyone's keeping their fingers crossed uh, that we can continue on a gradual bring athletes back in the sport of football and then ultimately in July uh, basketball should roll in.
0: Well, we, we've we got our fingers crossed just like you do, and um, we hope we can, can pull this off and everybody can stay safe and healthy and we can get through the fall semester uh, in pretty good shape. Um Absolutely. Jody, your career, of course, uh, is legendary. Uh, Anybody who has followed uh, women's basketball, the game of basketball, for a a second, knows all about Jody Conrad. Uh, You're at the Naismith Hall of Fame, the Women's Hall of Fame. You're our former Outstanding Contributor. You're in so many Halls of Fame. That's all we could talk about here. But uh, we wanted to salute you for winning the Outstanding Contributor, first and foremost, because... It's people like you that have so done so much for the game of basketball, and we're so thankful. And we just want to to say thanks to you and all that you did to to get women's basketball on the map uh, first at the University of Texas, and then, of course, the the national prominence with which the Longhorn program grew under your uh, under your coaching. So thanks for that, and uh, we will always appreciate you.
1: Well, thank you, I appreciate that recognition. I wish I could tell you that it was a grand plan, but it wasn't really. It was about my growing up as a young girl in a small town where basketball was the one sport that girls played. And I loved it. My family was supportive of my playing. And actually, it never occurred to me that I could be a coach because In small towns, they hire three or four football coaches and then I think they draw straws and the short straw coaches girls basketball. So my coaches were men uh, and it sort of happened by fate that I ended up uh, choosing to coach basketball as a career. Uh, But my ultimate uh, feeling has always been, I love the sport, I love the fact that I had an opportunity to play and to grow and to be a part of a team, and the ability to provide that same opportunity for other young women uh, was always my motivator.
0: Jody, take us back to your playing days and what led you to Baylor.
1: Well, you know, the older we get, the better we were, right? (laughs) Um, My playing days started out in, uh, again, a small Texas town where, we played the six player game. It was a divided court, and because there was the feeling that girls couldn't possibly run 94 feet, uh, you stopped at mid court and you either played on the offensive end or the defensive end. So, and that game persisted in this state for a, well into the 70s because it was a, a popular game. And I chose to go to Baylor because I grew up in a in a Baptist home and with a Baptist background, and Baylor was an obvious choice. There were no basketball scholarships for women, and I thought my career had ended when I graduated from high school. But as I got into uh, a curriculum and looking at the options, I thought there was an opportunity for me to continue to coach. And uh, then it was pre-title nine and as title nine became reality then there were many more opportunities for women to coach and i think it again was just circumstance and timing as most of our choices in life are but it put me at a place like the university of texas who had always had a strong athletic program for men and wonderful athletic tradition. And uh, that opportunity then presented uh, so many chances for me to um, be a part of promoting the sport and uh, a part of operating at a totally different level where people actually came to games and gave financial support to build programs.
0: Going back to spring, summer of 1976, Uh, and you're coaching at Arlington, and there is a new person on the scene in Austin, uh, Donna Lopiano, Uh, and we say this with great love and tenderness, she was a pushy, loud Yankee coming down to Austin, Texas, looking for a new basketball coach. And here she comes. And wow. Take us through that story.
1: Well, you're exactly right. Um, Although Title IX had become a law and programs had, some even before that time, had started to fill programs and give scholarships, the University of Texas was hesitant. I'll, I'll say that and use that word. Because there was a fear. Two things. There was a fear that women invading the arena of intercollegiate athletics at a place like the university of texas would probably drain resources and if you follow that reasoning then it might damage their ability to be successful athletically and particularly in football and the second was the societal notion that prevailed uh, for a long time, that women really didn't want to participate in sports, they didn't like strenuous activity, and they really didn't even want to sweat. So that was sort of the stage that was set here. And uh, just as by handstands, the university hired a female president who believe that it was imperative that Title IX become a reality on campus, and a committee was formed, and their person who came forward, the name that came forward, was Donna Lopiano, and there was some resistance, because her reputation was one of a, and as you mentioned, love and respect, a pushy Yankee, but... <laughs> That thought prevailed, and Donna came to the University of Texas, and we use the term force of nature, and that was definitely it. Um, It was the most unlikely fit you could imagine. I think Donna's first um, meeting with Daryl Royal, who was the legendary football coach at that point, was to tell him that she hated country-western music. So you can imagine that there were a lot of bumps along the road as Donna took over a program and built it from scratch. And I just was fortunate enough to be on her radar for some reason and chose to take the job because I knew that it was a sleeping giant and that there was potential as a state university to attract uh, from the outstanding high school pool of girls basketball coach in the state of Texas, 1200 schools were playing girls basketball in the state and it was a big deal to advance to a state tournament. So um, that sort of set the stage, and our athletic department was actually established outside of men's athletics. So we had two athletic departments, Donna being the head of women and Coach royal leading on the men's side. But it allowed us to be um, very innovative and to think outside the box. Nobody was saying, you can't do this, you can't do that. So uh, the program was established as an entity to sell its own season tickets, to have its own uh, opportunity to showcase uh, girls' basketball and young women who were anxious to play and to have a scholarship and an avenue to a wonderful education at the University of Texas. So um, we just... Started out on on a journey that led us to be able to create something really special here. But Donna was can-do in every area, and there were times when I'm going, oh, no, I better hold on here because we don't know what's going to happen with uh, some of the things that she was willing to to take a chance with. But... It was a great opportunity, and I just look back with such fondness on all of the steps along the way and what we were able to accomplish uh, in a time where people didn't believe that anyone was really interested in watching women play basketball.
0: Jody, share this story with our audience about the time Donna met your mom. Uh, when, when she she wanted to come and get you to Coach Texas.
1: Well you know um, my family as I mentioned were pretty staunch Baptist and conservative. I don't think I had ever heard my father say a curse word and Donna came into my home as we were going to a early recruiting trip. We were on our way to Comanche, Texas, which is a very small town, to visit another legendary Hall of Fame coach named Lita Andrews. Lita was very successful, the most um has more wins than anybody in the state of Texas, and probably very close to the top nationally. And and ironically, she had three daughters who all played basketball were really good. So my very first recruiting trip was to try to entice her oldest daughter, Linda, to come to Texas and be in that first class that we would field uh, a team and we stopped in my hometown uh, because it's on the way to Comanche and we were sitting at my parents breakfast table drinking coffee and getting ready to continue on our trip and um, Donna just routinely started talking I don't remember the curse words that she said but it caused my mother who was about to put a spoonful of sugar in her coffee to shake and and spill the sugar so it was uh, a intersection of uh, different backgrounds and different upbringing and certainly the northeast versus uh, Texas and the south so uh, but it Turned out to be a really great opportunity, and there's great love and respect between my whole family and Donna. And in fact, the Donna and the whole community of Austin, Texas.
0: Well, she was so great because she wouldn't take no for an answer. I think that's probably the the one characteristic of Donna and her leadership. You know, she just would not take no for an answer. I
1: said nothing in moderation, Lopiano.
0: That's, <laughs> that's
1: how I thought of her. And many a time I would just talk to her and say, Donna, uh, could we slow down a bit? Could we think about this? Donna, this is not going to be a well accepted. But I'm very happy that she many times didn't listen to me and went forward with what at that point in time were bold and praise uh, decisions. And ultimately, her fingerprints and her influence will always be on the athletic program, and particularly on the women's side here at the University of Texas. Donna was one of those athletic directors who demanded excellence. In fact, she said, if you, and this was with the establishment of other women's sports, if you are not in the top 10, then you can't stay here. And that's a high standard uh, that I think the University of Texas still tries to uphold today.
0: And how refreshing. Uh it is, Jody, to see the perception uh, of Americans and, and those around the world of the female athlete change. And you have seen this firsthand to now where women are are totally uh, respected and, and admired. Um, and for the select few, you know, we're in basketball, so we talk so often about those that go play professionally, WNBA overseas. But... To me, you know, the vast majority don't play professionally after they're done with their college experience, but they become such great leaders uh, in industry, uh, in business, what have you. And the lessons that they learned on the basketball court are so instrumental in making great leaders. Wow, this has been fantastic.
1: You know, looking at our society today and the turmoil and the opportunity for change that I hope we're going to embrace Uh, if everyone had the opportunity to play on a team and to be in a diverse environment where you develop trust and love for people who look like you and for people who don't I really think that sports has an opportunity to send that message to the rest of the world Um, It's not a hard thing. It's not a hard thing to work toward a goal with other people, regardless of the color of their skin or their background. Uh, We learn to appreciate and accept each other. And I am so fortunate to have been one of those who had that opportunity over the course of my life. And uh, I think anyone who's played on a team says, what's so hard about this? it's just opening your heart your mind and thinking about how do a group of people come together to reach a common goal that's what teamwork is and that i think has been consistent over time in society and it's just unfortunate that we haven't applied that more uh to things uh, that happen to us today and hopefully um uh, People can always use athletics and team sports as a blueprint for how we move forward as a people.
0: So very well said. Your Texas teams in the '80s—a uh, dominant run. I think you know the casual basketball fan will always look back on the '86 team, the undefeated national championship team. But you—you you guys had such a an incredible run, uh, particularly in, in the mid '80s. Uh, I know it's sort of like naming your favorite child, but are those the the most special teams, or are there others?
1: Well, I think every team is unique uh, and you can uh, take and add one or two people and it changes the makeup of a team because uh, they bring different uh, talents and skills to the environment certainly the being the first undefeated NCAA tournament in women's basketball history is something that I will never take lightly. I will never um, probably question how talented they were. Uh, But I think the thing that stands out about them is the adversity that they went through to achieve the ultimate goal, which is the national championship in a 34-0 season. Um, That team was great there was potential for teams following that to be equally uh, good, but basketball is one of those sports where if you have an injury here or there or adversity strikes, sometimes it's hard to recapture and really realize the talent of the particular groups of people. Uh, I remember when we won that national championship and Clarissa Davis as a freshman was the MVP and she was literally head and shoulders above anybody else in that, in that final four. And I remember a coaching friend of mine, in fact, uh, most people who follow women's basketball will remember the name Billy Moore, who was the mm-hmm. legendary coach at UCLA. After that game and we win, she said to me, we'll just mail the trophy to you for the next three years because that team was so good and we had such a great nucleus returning that I fully expected that we would win. But unfortunately, we have injuries. Uh, Things happen that you have no control of. Clarissa Davis ultimately had a knee injury. Um, So uh, there's nothing that is for sure in sports and that's one of the reasons we follow and love it so much but I have to say that that team because of their accomplishments has to be at the top of the list but there were so many great players and opportunities that presented themselves after that to get back to the Final Four and um, have a chance to win but Everybody was trying to win, and some things you just can't control. And um, But that era was really great and really special.
0: Well, Jody, we wrap up with our fingers crossed here on this virus. Uh, maybe by September things will look a little bit different and we'll be traveling and playing in golf tournaments, and we so hope to see you guys here in Atlanta. Uh, we, we're just hoping, and we're hanging on to that. We're not going to give up because we couldn't have a Naismith Golf Tournament without the, the Texas Connections.
1: Well, you know, our team's been upgraded. Um, you know, Beth Bass always feels his team when professional players, and she had a player on her team named Vic Schaefer who's about a scratch golfer. Well, he's going to change now Uh-oh. to be the Texas team, so the balance of power in that tournament, whenever it does happen, and we're hopeful in September, um, it's going to change, but I just want to say a shout out to Eric and the people with the Naismith Trophy, that was a group that was visionary in my mind before anybody else was paying attention or giving awards or recognizing girls and women in basketball, that group in Atlanta did. I don't think there's a group in the country that loves basketball and supports the sport more than they do. So, And thanks for your continued presence and support in that organization, but espe- especially to all the people in the Atlanta Tip-Off Club and to Eric for their great work.
0: Well, they it's a labor of love, Jody, because we get to, to be with people like you, and that makes it all worthwhile. Best of luck, best of health. And uh, like I say, we hope to see you in September, but if we don't, uh, it'll be soon, and uh, we can't wait to, to see you all. And thanks so much for your time, and congratulations again on just a sensational career.
1: Well, thank you so much, and hook them.
0: Jody, thank you very much. All the best to you and yours. That's going to do it for this week. Our podcast this week brought to you by Jersey Mike's, where they offer a sub above. From Atlanta, this is Bob Rathman thanking you for downloading us, and we will see you again next week.